Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. You're listening to a special edition of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast called Your Last Decade. I thought it'd be fun to talk to a few friends about what life was like for them 10 years ago, how life has changed, what the year 2010 brought them, what this last decade has brought them, and what they hope over the next 10 years. Friends, today is Good Friday. In fact, because we're in the middle of self-quarantine, some of you might not have known what day it is, but I'm here to tell you it is indeed Friday. You're listening to Your Last Decade. And like I said, it's not just any Friday, but it is the most important few days in our Christian faith. Today is the day that our Savior, Jesus Christ, was crucified for the sins of the world. Jesus' death was a payment for our sins. He took on our pain. He took on our sin. He took on our shame. He took on our guilt. And he made it his own so that we could be reunited with the Father. Friends, Friday was horrible when Jesus died. Saturday was, I'm sure, devastating to those that followed him and loved him. But Sunday always arrived and Sunday is glorious. It is the day that we celebrate Jesus's resurrection from the grave where he overcame death and sin forever. This is the foundation of our faith. He rose from the grave, defeated sin, ascended to heaven. And this is why we celebrate this weekend of Easter and Good Friday and Sunday. And I hope that this year in 2020, even though Easter probably 100% looks different than you thought, that you still find ways to pause and reflect and remember and thank God for the gift of his son. If you're looking for church to attend on Sunday, you can do it virtually from your home. My church, the Austin Stone Community Church, has been offering online church for a couple of weeks now. It's super easy to find. Go to austinstone.org slash live, where you will have worship and teaching. Also, I'm super excited to tell you that my husband and his team at Austin Stone Worship released a new song today called Something Greater. This is a song that our church is going to be proclaiming on Easter and over the next couple of weeks and for real forever because it is so good. I've been jamming and worshiping to this song for a while since they've been working on it. I hope that you appreciate it. To hear more about this song, go to austinstoneworship.com slash something greater. Today's Your Last Decade is with Herbie Newell. Herbie is the president and executive director of Lifeline Children's Services, and its ministry arms include Unadopted, Crossings, Families Count, and Lifeline Village. He and his wife, Ashley, live in Birmingham, Alabama, and they are parents to three kids. The mission of Lifeline is to equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to vulnerable children. Herbie shares with us how this mission has dramatically expanded over the last decade, but it was not without struggle. Herbie talks about how he would encourage his 2010 self to take time to enjoy the moments all along the struggling. This is such a good word for us today in April of 2020, living during the historical time of a global pandemic. Friends, before we get to this conversation I had with Herbie, I just want to say I am so very excited that so many of you had said yes to joining me for my new Bible study. It's called Your Story Matters, and it launches this Monday, the day after Easter. I cannot wait to go through this with so many of you. Go to jamieivy.com for all of the details. You can pre-order this study right now over the weekend, and here's what you're going to get. 
You're gonna get it for the cheapest price ever. You're gonna get six videos, which include teaching by myself, plus an interview that I do with a woman who's walking through or has walked through the lie that we discussed in that day's teaching. You're also gonna get a bonus video with myself and my husband, Aaron, discussing how to share your story with your spouse. Don't forget, there's an online community to connect with each other as well. I will be live in two different places throughout the week so that I can talk with you about this study. I believe stories change the world, and we need your story to be a part of that world changing. Check out jamieivy.com today to pre-order your study of Your Story Matters. Okay, my friends, here is my conversation with Herbie. Herbie, welcome to the special edition of the Happy Hour called Your Last Decade. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me, Jamie. It's such a privilege to be with you, and certainly I know the staff that I lead at Lifeline loves listening to the Happy Hour and loves just uh, hearing you. And I've been grateful to be able to get to hear you speak so many times and God's really using you, my sister. Uh, That is really exciting. And just shout out to all of the ladies at Lifeline to listen to the happy hour. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So how, speaking of Lifeline, tell us a little bit about what you do and how long you've been doing it and your family and all that jazz. Yeah. So again, my name's Herbie Newell and I've been the president and executive director at Lifeline for almost 17 years, for 17 years in May of this year. And uh, the Lord has allowed me to be there to see uh, just some tremendous things that he's been able to accomplish from, you know, being able to work in 25 different countries to expanding into 14 different states. And really the crux of what we do is in our mission statement, which is to equip the body of Christ to manifest the glorious gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. And so however we can equip the church to care for orphans is really what we're going to hunker in and do. And so if that's foster care, if that's caring for single women going through crisis pregnancies, if that's through adoption, if that's through life skills and job skills of orphans around the world or equipping the global church to care for orphans, that's what we're all about. And that's what we do. I love that. It feels like a very um, large umbrella, if I might say. And you're like, yeah, story of my life. I'm leading a very large umbrella. And I have a lot of questions, but first, tell me about your family real quick. Yeah, so I have the great opportunity of having my wife, Ashley, and we will have been married 19 years this year. And we've been blessed with three children. We have Caleb, who's 15 and learning to drive here in Alabama. And so he will be 16 this year as well. And so I will have a driver. And then I have a 13-year-old girl now, and her name is Adeline, and she just turned 13, and she's precious, but I know uh, that I'm in for it with having a teenage girl. I've heard that. And then we have a 10-year-old little girl that uh, is the party of our house. Uh, She is the one that has absolutely no inhibitions, and she keeps us laughing all the time. I love that so much. Okay, so if my math is right, 10 years ago, you had your last child. You were parenting two kids and you had been at Lifeline for like seven years. Am I right? That's right. Exactly. Okay. So tell me what your life looked like in 2010. I just summed up a little bit, but I know there's more. 10 years ago, if you're looking back and you know, I I think we can see a lot of what our life looked like better looking back than when we're living it in the moment. So looking back to 2010, what was going on in your world? What was going on in your life? What was going on at Lifeline? I would imagine that you guys have shifted and changed a lot over the past 10 years. And so tell me about that. Yeah. So at the beginning of this decade, we actually were in a little dilapidated house off of uh, Highway 280 in Birmingham, Alabama. It was the only bricks and mortar office that we had at the time. We had four rooms in this house. We shared it with another ministry. And I kid you not, and it's hard to look back and even believe this. We had 32 people working in four different rooms. And so there were people literally with laptops in their laps sitting on the floor 
we had absolutely just, you know, we're pushing the walls out of this house and we were just getting ready to move into a new building which would bring all 32 people into a building that was more appropriate for our size. And as well, we were starting to see some growth into the state of Georgia. It was one of the first states that, that we really felt like the Lord was leading us into. And so it totally, things look completely different now. We have 161 staff members. They're spread across 14 states. We have you know, uh, 14 bricks and mortar offices where people are going into every day. We have folks that are working remotely. So, you know, looking back 10 years, it's almost laughable to think of where we were. But, you know, what I think is encouraging is I see how the Lord was working in that moment just as clearly as he was working in this moment. And, and you know, even reflecting back and thinking back, it reminds me that it doesn't matter what station we're at. It doesn't matter our age. It doesn't matter what we think we have around us. You know, the Lord is always working and doing things in the minute, in the big, in the small, and the seemingly insignificant. And that's just been a, a great blessing of being able to think back to, to 2010. I love that because I bet, I'm going to guess, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, and I want you to speak for yourself. But in 2010, you had to have been wondering, how are we going to keep working? How is this ever going to do anything? How are we going to do this? This feels like not the best scenario for 32 people to be working in four rooms. And so it's interesting as we look back and we can see like, man, that was really hard, but you had no idea what the next 10 years was going to hold. And you had no idea that 14 states would be in 2020. And so to me, it just makes me think of the people who are listening who feel a little bit like, this cannot be how this is going to work out, yeah. you know? And so speak to your 2010 self. Like what, what would you tell yourself then about what you know is going to happen with Lifeline and with your ministry and you and your wife over the next 10 years? I would look back at Irby Newell in 2010 and say, you know, brother, first of all, be content where you are mm. and cultivate the folks around you and the people around you and truly blossom where you are planted. You know, I look back and, and by God's sovereignty, not because of anything that I did, but because of his complete sovereignty, he used that 32 that group of 32 people, and he molded them together to become the core of what he would mm, do yeah. 10 years later. But at that time, I didn't, I, don't, I didn't realize it. I was just thinking more of, oh, I got to get these people more space. And, you know, we're, we're barely able to make payroll and we're ba barely able to pay the meager rent at this house. And yet I've got to get them somewhere else. And I was mm. thinking all about the future as opposed to being present in the moment and discipling those people well, leading those people well, loving on them well, wrapping around them well. But even amidst, you know, my lack of leadership, I saw the Lord do something absolutely amazing because the majority of that core 32, 10 years ago are still with us today. That's, That's what's crazy. really kind of yeah. neat. And, and you look back and you go, what? And even some of those that over the last decade have have maybe gone away for a season because of children or because of life circumstances, many of them have come back and they make a huge piece of who we are today as a ministry because they knew the intimacy of being together in four rooms. They knew the struggle of working hard and not taking for granted all the things that the Lord is giving us, not taking to get to, for granted the resources. Mm. And so I, mean, I think the biggest reason thing I'd look back and just tell myself 10 years ago is absolutely enjoy the moment that you're in. 
you know, make the most of the people that are around you in that moment and trust the Lord that he'll take care of the rest. That's good. I feel like that's a really good word for us right now in 2020, Herbie, as we're we're trying to tell ourselves to enjoy the moment because it's not enjoyable for a lot of people uh, for very real reasons. It's a very difficult time for a lot of people. Um, Okay. So you listed and I know this just from reading your bio, is that you guys, Lifeline Children's Services is not just what you would typically think maybe like an adoption agency. That's not it at all. Um, And so can you tell me how it has changed in 10 years over all of the different areas that you guys are working? And I had never heard your mission statement before, and I love it because it's this huge umbrella of whatever we can do to care for orphans and vulnerable and widows. That's what we're going to do. And Mm. That's like what the church is supposed to do. So tell me the changes that have happened in 10 years mm-hmm. under your ministry, under your leadership. Yeah. So, I, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like we've gone back to the future in a sense. You know, we were founded in 81 with this whole idea that we were going to disciple women going through crisis pregnancies mm-hmm. and that we were going to wrap around them. And it was never about you know, adoption and putting these children into families. It was all about ministering to these women. We grew out of a crisis pregnancy network. And I love crisis pregnancy centers. My wife was a director of one and uh, did great work through that. And and we prayed for that and supported that. But back in the 80s, you know, these crisis pregnancy centers were were really more evangelism specific. Mm -hmm. They'd share the gospel, they give a pregnancy test, and they would plead with a woman not to have abortion. And Lifeline came around to say, how do we walk these women through their journey, no matter what they decide? How do we care for them and love them throughout their pregnancy and then get them the resources they need? You know, in, in 2020, now, that's what a lot of the crisis pregnancy centers are doing holistically. And so our ministry kind of morphed more into the adoption side of, of being that adoption-specific uh, provider. And so that's what I found in 2003. But, but being a student of God's Word, I kept going back to God's Word. And I kept realizing that, yes, adoption was a beautiful piece of God's Word, but it really wasn't the, the crux of the, the, the commandment that God gave to His people. It, it was so much deeper. It was so much more intimate. And it really was for God's people. You are to care for the vulnerable around you, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, and the alien. And by so doing, you show my grace and you show my gospel and you show my love and my justice and my mercy. And, and so looking at passages like the book of Ruth and seeing what Boaz does for Ruth and how he loves on her and he speaks kindly to her and he cares for her and he provides for her in her most vulnerable position, her most vulnerable place. Studying James one twenty seven, which is a word that a lot of we like to use in adoption circles mm-hmm. and realizing that that word was so deep when you study it through God's scripture and it's God actually coming to the vulnerable and saying, I care for you wherever you are, however I can do that. And so the Lord, and that really happened in 2010, started to open our eyes to say, vulnerable families need to be advocated for just as much as vulnerable children. Because if we can advocate for vulnerable families and help them find purpose and significance and wholeness, then those children will no longer be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. If we can really wrap around churches around the world to have them care for orphans in their distress, then we don't have to send all of these mission teams from the U.S. to go for a one week and care for a child in an orphanage or in a slum village. We can instead be equipping our brothers and sisters 
sisters to do this work holistically because they'll be there seven days a week, 365 days a year. And so that's really where I've seen the mission of, of Lifeline change, even to the point that now we are seeing indigenous believers adopt domestically in their own countries. And, and that honestly, beautiful. yeah, it brings me as much joy to see indigenous believers wrapping around fostering, caring for, and adopting children as any international adoption brings me joy. Yeah. I am a big fan of that. And and we'll talk about your book that came out actually this year, the beginning of this year. And one of the reasons I loved it so much is, well, I'll tell you the truth. I don't think I've ever told you this, is that when you asked me to endorse your book and I thought it was going to be a book about well, it's called image bearers, you know, shifting from pro-birth to pro-life, which I love so much that phrase, but I thought it was just going to be about adoption and I was going to be a no because I think that there are so many other ways to care for, mm. for vulnerable children than adoption. And so I, I loved that when I opened it up, that there was, it was so much more than adoption. And I hear that in your heart, the international adoption world has gone through a lot of changes in the last 10 years. What does that look like for you guys at Lifeline and how have you handled that? You know, I think, again, looking back 10 years ago, we really saw the pieces of the international adoption world changing, I think, before others really even did. You know, the decline happened more in the 2013, 2014. And we were looking at a landscape, again, from a different view, from a biblical worldview, and saying, we need to get as many of these healthy quote-unquote healthy children into the homes of indigenous believers around the world. We need to encourage domestic adoption. And let's look at the countries that we're working in and let's really look and say, okay, which children would be very difficult for them to handle? And so it's even funny as we talk about the last decade is 2010 is when we made the shift to say, we're really only going to focus on special needs, high needs, children who probably right now don't have the opportunity to make it in their country of origin and who need the opportunity for adoption. And so I believe, you know, in God's sovereignty, again, that has helped us see a totally different view of international adoption, even today, where our numbers have not declined per se, because we've always focused on those children who are in the, the highest need group. What has changed, though, for us is the education. I can say we were not educating families as well 10 years ago when the Lord led us to this change as we are today. We've made some hard changes that I know some families have have not loved. We, we are requiring families to have a face-to-face -face training visit, and we do a conference uh, where they're hearing from the best attachment specialists that we can find. They're being trained by the best pediatricians that we can find, that they are really getting that training. And in a sense, we're trying to talk them out of going through with international adoption. And if they get through this training and they go, yep, this is still what we're called for, then we know, yes, we still have more equipping to do, but these are good families that really are feeling the call of the Lord. And so I think what's changed, one, is yes, it's gotten more difficult. I think a lot of the reasons it has gotten more difficult, and, and I, I praise the Lord for this, is you are seeing domestic options increase. Sorry. Now, that's not every country, but for a lot of these countries, domestic adoption is increasing or domestic options are increasing. And then I think the other thing is for too long, Americans have acted like we were, you know, we were the rulers of the world and we just went into countries and we did our own things our own way. And certainly, yes, there have been some bad international adoptions, but I think more than anything, there have been some Americans that went in with this idea that we are, we control the world and we're going to do things our way. And, you know, probably adoptions that needed to happen went bad because we introduced money into a system and corruption into a system in order to expedite things. And so it slowed down that international adoption process. 
at the same time, Jamie, I would say there are still children that need homes through international adoption. And there are kids right now that need homes through intercountry adoption that might not have a hope in a future in their country of origin. And we need to, we need to advocate for those kids while also advocating for help in their own country so that those countries can start to take care of even the most medically fragile kids. I love it. It's a both and. It's a we can hold both of these in our hands, you know, and both of them be okay. And I could not agree more with everything you're saying. When you talked about the training and you said some people are, you know, they don't like it. I say time and time and time again, my husband Aaron and I went into adoption super naive. Our first adoption was a domestic adoption, which was great. And, you know, we thought we could do this. We can do an international adoption and had zero training. And I look back and say, it's one of the biggest mistakes, the zero training, not our adoption by any means. I love my children, but the zero training. And so I think, man, what you said, if you can get through all of this and still go, okay, we're still in, then, you know, you have a different kind of situation on your hands. And so I really appreciate that. I always say I am pro adoption. Our family's built on adoption. We have three kids through adoption, but I am also, it's a both and thing. I am also very much for how do we keep children in their home countries Mm -hmm. and how do we keep children raised by people in their family? You know, maybe the money that we would have spent on international adoption could fund a mom to get a job. And there we go. We have not broken up a family now. And so I I love everything you're saying because it is a sticky world. And I think adoption has gotten a bad rap in some ways over the past 10 years. And I like the way you guys are handling it. Well, and one of the things that I, I tell folks all the time, and you just said it, and I just repeat it, poverty should never be the reason that right. a family is broken up. And that's the thing that I saw over and over again is when God's word even says to care for the orphan. That means fatherless children, which means moms that are trying to fight for their kids and don't have the support. And so helping an orphan or helping a fatherless child may mean as much helping a mother get on her her knees to get a job, to get the resources she needs to be able to take care of her child. And so poverty should never be the number one reason, should never be the primary reason that adoption is happening. And as God's people, we should alleviate that and work to help that mom as much as we can. And, you know, even 2020 hasn't started the way we thought it would, but that's the thing that really our ministry has continued to look at is, Hey, unfortunately now orphans are becoming more vulnerable because their parents, their moms, their dads, their families are already vulnerable are becoming more vulnerable. And so we really have got to reach out to make sure that we don't have a generation of kids that have no support when we wake up out of this pandemic. It's, it is so true. You know, sometimes a kid needs to be adopted and sometimes a mom needs a job. And, That's and, right. and that is a big difference right there in a kid's life and in, 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 in everything that happens in that kid's world could be changed by their mom having a job. What is 2020? I mean, we could be just broken records over here every time I have an interview right now in the middle of this. But what is 2020? You can include everything that we're living in with the pandemic of you know COVID-19, the coronavirus. But how is 2020 looking for Lifeline Children's Services right now? You know, it's, I'm sorry about 2010. You know, we were all confined to 32 folks into a four-room little dilapidated house. And yet we start 2020 and a lot of us are all confined in our homes individually trying to connect over internets and uh, Zoom calls and, and different types of media. But, you know, one of the things that I've really led our staff to think through and pray through is let's not waste this pandemic. Uh, but let's really focus back in on the Lord. And, and I've also told that to my 
wife and, and to our kids. And we've been praying for our kids to say, you know, we're living in a historical moment that will define the rest of our days. You know, we'll look back to 2020 and we'll say, do you remember when the whole world kind of got shut down and we were having to live in our homes? And, you know, these are the things that we've read in history about. These are the things that we read missionary biographies to our kids. And we say, you, you know how these missionaries went through these plagues and these sicknesses and, you know, you have the black death or you have, you know, the Spanish flu and you see all of these things that happen. And we look back in history and we see the faith that emerged out of these horrible times. And, and that's what I want to encourage our staff and encourage our family to say, let's be those people that, that emerge out of this with incredible faith. And so, you know, while certainly uh, I grieve for the loss of life, I grieve for those that are sick and hurting. I grieve for those who are separated because hospitals have had to not allow caregivers to come in. There's so many things to grieve about, but I also think the Lord is refining us, every single one of us through this, to show that we have faith, to show that we trust Him. And so for 2020, for Lifeline, this is just a, a marker to say, as we go to the future, we're going to trust the Lord for where he takes us, for what he does with us, how he refines us and how he uses us, because we want to be ultimately an instrument for his glory. Uh, because as we show the world that we need to care for life and that we are pro-life, we're really just taking the gospel forward mm -hmm. because life was created and made in the image of God to be redeemed by God. And so we really look at the start of 2020 as a time that is, is sharpening us and refining us, knowing that the Lord has something great up ahead that we may not be able to see. And so we're just going to take the things I learned 10 years ago, and we're going to be still in these moments. We're going to trust God for His mercies today, and we're going to disciple and love on those around us uh, while we have the moments. I love it. And I think that is a good word for all of us right now in this time of having to slow down. You know, I, I, I think I'll say it every time I talk about this is that a lot of us are having to work from homes and do Zoom calls and figure things out. And then there are a lot of people whose lives have been turned upside down. And so, you know, my daily walks to my creek are something I can cherish right now. And I can live in the moment, remember these, but there are some people who, you know, I just saw something about a woman delivering a baby without her mm -hmm. husband because he couldn't come. And so just so many crazy things right now. I was on a walk with one of my boys the other day and I said, the craziest thing is, you're going to be a grandpa one day and your grandkids going to be like, grandpa, I got to, I got to interview someone who lived through coronavirus. Can I talk to you? And I'm like, you're right. I mean, this is going to go down in history. Um, and what are we going to do with it? You know, I like to ask people as we look back on your last decade, um, I'm, I'm not one for regrets. I'm not one to, you know, think, oh man, I'm going to just beat myself up over that. But if you could look back on 2010, if there were, I mean, the past 10 years, the past decade, if there was something that you could say, man, no regrets, I'm not living in shame, I'm not doing this. But if you look, could look back, what would you say, man, I wish I would have just done this a little bit differently. Do you have anything like that? Yeah. So, I mean, I know you're asking for one, but the two that really stick to me is I remember reading Billy Graham's autobiography, Just As I Am. And I remember he said the one regret is he didn't spend enough time with his kids. Mm. And I mean, I, I remember when I read that and I read that, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, I remember I said, okay, one day when I have kids, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make the same mistake. But as I look back, you know, I would say to every father and every mother, you can never spend too much time with your kids. Mm. And looking back, especially now having a 15 year old and a 13 year old and a 10 year old, 
you know, you almost gasp because there's lessons you still want to teach them. There's moments and interactions you still want to have. And so, you know, I think God has been kind to allow me opportunities to care and to be there and to be present. But I always look back and say, I wish I could have been more present. And then the second thing, and this is for me, especially, uh, you know, before I came to Lifeline, I actually worked as a CPA and I had so many opportunities one-on-one to share the gospel with lost people. And now that I lead a Christian ministry, I realize how much more intentional I have to be to be engaged in the lives of lost people. And so if I look back, you know, it's almost, it really grieves me to think of how few, less than 10 people that I've had an earnest conversation that were lost people Mm -hmm. about the gospel. And while I can look back with solace and say, well, the Lord has used me to equip others, you know, and I can look back at all the lost people that Lifeline has touched and that I've been able to equip people to touch. Personally, I hope for this next decade that I'll have more opportunity to really one-on-one, life-on-life, be able to care for lost people and to show the gospel of Jesus Christ in tangible ways. Yeah. And that takes such intentionality when you work in ministry. I mean, that's the you know story of my life as well. Um, Herbie, what do you look for in the next 10 years? Next 10, 2030? Wow. I mean, it feels like I, I can't even imagine what that might look like, but what do you hope in the next 10 years? You know, I hope that, uh, you know, I pray for my kids every night over them or for them when I'm not there. I pray that they will one day, you know, meet a godly spouse if that's what the Lord has for them. If that's not what the Lord has for them, I pray that they would be pure, that they'd be wholly devoted to His Word. And so I hope in 10 years, I'm looking back at a 26-year-old, a 23-year-old, and a 20-year-old who are still living with purpose for the hope of the gospel. I mean, that, that is my prayer. I believe that as moms and dads, we have a focus to shoot out these children like arrows, like the word says, and that hit their mark. And so I pray and hope that in 10 years, I look back and I see kids that are making a difference in their own way, in unique ways, because they're all very uniquely different. But in unique ways, they're making a lot and most of the gospel. I hope in 10 years that I'm leading a ministry, Lord willing, that is engaged in even more in-depth ways in countries around the world, that we're seeing brothers and sisters from all nations caring for orphans and the church alive and well and the gospel spreading. And, you know, my prayer is too, and has been our prayer as we look at ministry, that those that we are reaching today will be the disciple makers in 10 years. And so I hope that vulnerable families that we've had the opportunity to minister to through our Families Count program, which is family restoration, or kids that we've reached through through our foster care programs, or kids that we've reached through through our unadopted orphan care programs, are now making disciples in 10 years. That would be just the greatest gift to be able to have thousands and thousands of people that have been touched through the gospel, through the ministry of Lifeline, that are now making disciples in the name of Christ Jesus. I love it. I hope I hope with you to see that in 10 years for your ministry. Real quick before we go, because I, I don't want to miss this. As you did, I mentioned this already, release a book in January called Image Bears, Shifting from Pro-Birth to Pro-Life. And just some of the chapters in here, and I love that that idea of shifting from pro-birth to pro-life. And, you know, I can, I can really get on a, on a soapbox about um, Christians who their only idea of pro-life is anti-abortion. I will never, ever forget a conversation I had with my friend Holly Hayes when she came on the happy hour and, and she had experienced and walked through five abortions and was not a follower of Jesus, but her memory was the picketers on the front screaming at her that, that she was baby killer, all the things. And then she said, I'll never forget it, Herbie. She said, I walked out the back door after my abortion and nobody was there. 
And that is what I think of when I think of pro-life is caring for that woman as well and caring for the incarcerated and caring for the African-American people who have been through so much torment in our country and still are to this day. And so caring for, you know, those on the board, all the things, and you reach all of them. And so I was so excited about it. You talk about abortion, racial reconciliation, respecting women, fatherlessness, godly men, adoption, slavery, trafficking, pornography. I mean, you just hit it all, and I am so excited about it. And so can you tell me real quick why you loved writing this book? So I just loved writing this book because I feel like even if you look at the last decade, this is what my life has been about is saying we can't stop our advocacy for life once a baby is born. We have to begin our advocacy for life in a more passionate, more in-depth way once life is born. And also just realizing that as believers, we're called to live consistent lives to the gospel. And, you know, you look at the ministry of Christ and the Pharisees always would look and say, why are you hanging out with the tax collectors? Why are you hanging out with sinners? And yet it never deterred Christ from his mission to take the gospel to the least of these, to take the gospel to the most broken. Uh, And why? I think because he realized I'm looking in the face of my image. Mm -hmm. I place my image in these people and I love them. And I believe if our churches would awaken to all life and to being pro-life for life that's living and breathing, then our message against adoption or against abortion, our message for life and against abortion becomes that much more palatable to a lost world because they see a consistency that we aren't just, we got to get a baby born, but we are, we love life because we're made in the image of a creator. Yeah. Because one of the biggest pushbacks, rightly so, is that Christians are, you know, so pro-life and against abortion, but then once a mom who's in a vulnerable situation has a baby, then who are, where is anyone then? And so that is what you're saying. That is the mission of, of your organization and your book. And I'm, I'm grateful for you speaking about it. I really am. So yeah. Uh, Herbie, thank you so much for coming on your last decade. You guys, if you want to pick up a copy of Image Bears, don't go to Amazon because they're not shipping books. But I think Barnes & Noble is shipping books right now. <laughs> uh, no one can get books and it's good. They should only be sending out necessary things. But get Image Bears, shifting from pro birth to pro-life. Herbie, thank you so much. Hope you and Ashley and the kids are enjoying some extra time in these crazy times. We are. And thanks for having me. And I appreciate everything that you do uh, and the way that you make the clarion call of the gospel real through your podcast and through your speaking. Thanks, Herbie. Thank you. Friends, I really did love Herbie's first book, Image Bearers, and I champion the work of the church to care for the vulnerable wherever they are and advocate for whole families. As we think about this truth in the midst of a global pandemic, I'm hopeful that God will teach us how to be a voice for the most vulnerable and shift our view from pro-birth to a full view of pro-life. Friends, thank you for listening to this special edition of the Happy Hour, Your Last Decade. Our hope in all of these shows is that you too can reflect on your last decade, whether you were 23 years old, 10 years ago, 65 or 12. Look back and see what God has done in your life and where he has brought you. How have you persevered? How have you screwed up? What would you do differently and what are you proud of? Also, looking back always causes me to look forward. What do you hope to see in your next decade? 
Today's show was edited from our friends at Podshaper and organized by Lindsay Sweeney. The music is developed for the show by Matt Graham and show notes are written by Aki Slockers. We'd love it if you enjoyed this show, if you'd share it with your friends. Word of mouth is the number one way that people find out about our podcast and we thank you for that. Friends, as a treat to you, we have the entire song by Austin Stone Worship called Something Greater. I pray it blesses you as you listen today going into Easter weekend. Be sure and check out austinstoneworship.com for more information on this song.
gonna run The sinner's gonna see 